Hello, and welcome to the Alliance Podcast. I'm your host, Risa Courier, joining you from the Humane Rescue Alliance in Washington, D.C. Today, I am joined by one of my colleagues, Lisa Stemkowski. She is our feline behavior manager, and she works in our behavior and training department. Lisa has the unique distinction of being the only certified cat behavior consultant in the D.C. metropolitan area. And she also serves as a shelter mentor in the Jackson Galaxy Project's Cat Positive Probe Program. And in that capacity, she advises and mentors not only colleagues like me, but volunteers and um, any other folks that are involved in the shelter and rescue system all across the U.S. and and provides them with training and support on how to uh, implement feline behavior modification programs in their own organizations. So welcome, Lisa. Hello. Thank you for making the time uh, to join us. And I was thinking about um, before we we got on here about the first time that I met you, and I, I'm sure you have no memory of this, but I, it's it's kind of an interesting story. So I was, um, you know, doing the HRA onboarding process. And so for those of you who are not HRA employees, we actually have a really wonderful process when you're a new employee where you get to float around to all the different uh, departments and, and you do a little observation. And so the day I met Lisa, I was at the New York Avenue shelter and I was, I think Joe meant, Joe was the one leading, it was me and I think a, an employee that had just started with HR leading us around and then he had to go do something. And so we were, we were sitting there in this, in this, that small behavior room in New York Avenue and you came in and you had a carrier and you opened it up and it was a cat that I think had never seen people before. And the cat immediately, it was from a hoarding situation and the cat immediately like like had boomerangs, like it, it just sprung like springs on its legs. And it like went into the like rafters. It was in the ceiling. And I mean, I was just like, oh my goodness, this is, this is crazy. And you were so calm and um, you, you know, were able to like get the cat out and, and do the observation. And it was, it was like my first time witnessing kind of like the Yoda of the cat feline behavior at work. And it was so impressive. Well, thank you. I'm glad you um, enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, it was a little terrifying too. I'd never, I'd never seen a cat that, you know, all the cats that I've always spent my life with, and I think for a lot of people, are cats that have grown up and been around people. And and so I think that's something that, you know, you deal with in your job is, you, you know, you are exposed to and work with every different kind of cat, including cats that have had zero socialization, like the, these cats that we brought in from that particular hoarding case. So, um, so yeah, that was, I think that was the first time that we met and, um, and you've always been so gracious, uh, with every other time that I cross your path in the hallway and answering all my questions about cats. Cause when, uh, when I first started at HRA, my cat Oscar was, he, he was, you know, aging, he was had turned 18. And so it was like going into a whole new season of his care and a whole new set of requirements that he needed for his, um, you know, for 
for him to be comfortable as he um, his joints aged and he wasn't able to get around and, and use his litter box the same way. So I I appreciate that, Lisa, in all, in all the guidance you've given to me. Oh, I'm so happy to help out. So I, I think what a lot of people, um, when they hear your specialization, um, they're I'm curious as well, how, how did you end up in career in animal welfare and, and how did you end up focusing and concentrating on uh, our feline companions? Well, um, I actually started out as a volunteer at the Washington Animal Rescue League. Animal welfare was always something that uh, was a part of my life. Um, I was a vegetarian. I kept on uh, up with animal legislation and just was very involved with, you know, the, the benefits of animal welfare in general. So, geez, in 2009, I finally had the time in my life, the extra time in my life that I could start volunteering. And so I did. And I, through volunteering, I started hanging out with the behavior department, working or volunteering actually alongside them. And then that transitioned into um, a job with the uh, Washington Animal Rescue League in the behavior department. Um, as for cats, you know, I had always had cats. I had two cats at the time. And there was such a need for cat behavior. Everyone knew a lot about dogs. Everyone worked with all the dogs. But no one worked with the cats. And no one knew a lot about cats. So I just took it upon myself to start doing some research and find out the best way to get educated on cat behavior. And it's not just, you know, watching YouTube videos or picking up random books, but like really down deep cat behavior. So I found an organization that had lots of great opportunities for education and recommendations. And I just started buying textbooks, started watching webinars and attending conferences. And here we go. Well, that is a very circuitous way um, to come into uh, the organization. But I find for so many of us, I think not, you know, Actually, I was talking to Adrienne Carson, you know, who was, leads our behavior program in, in New Jersey. And she said, I just knew from the moment I, you know, when I was a little girl and I got my first dog breed book, like this was going to be my life. But I think she, she actually went and did something else for a while first. But I think for many of us, um, you know, our path to animal welfare is, is not a straightforward one. So that's so great. I mean, it's so wonderful that you ended up at HRA through the volunteer program and and now you support those same volunteers and um, they do incredible work to um, behavior modification work for, for our cats. In fact, just yesterday I was at our Oglethorpe facility and there was a volunteer and she was rec- had recently started, but she was working with some of the cats on um, positive behavior reinforcement. And so that's always so good to see. So you mentioned something um, about, you know, not a lot of people know know about cats, that people working in behavior have been traditionally focused on dogs. And and that's something that I've observed, too, that in many ways, cats are second-class citizens um, to the dog. And I, I was uh, at a meeting with a group of veterinarians, and I recall them saying how uh, they see so far fewer cats for well visits as opposed to dogs. So why do you think that is, that cats? are living in the shadow of their gregarious canine counterparts. And do you see that changing, that cats are kind of coming into their own and people are learning more about their behavior? Yeah. uh, So, you know, cats are, they're unique in that they 
Many things that they're not technically domesticated completely. Um, if you want to compare apples to oranges, cats started the domestication process nine to 11,000 years ago and dogs 35,000 years ago. Cats can live in a natural environment, in an outdoor environment, completely unsupported by humans. Dogs can't do that so much. Um, since cats started hanging around with humans and the, and you know, the grain mills and in agricultural communities 11,000 years ago, they have not changed a bit. They are the exact same species that they were then. So I think because of that, it's easy for people to chalk it up to like, oh, it's a cat thing. It's just cats. Without really understanding that for every behavior, regardless what species that animal is, there's a reason. You know, there's a motivation behind it. And it's just understanding through like so many people before us who have done lots and lots of research that we can like understand like what's that motivation behind that behavior and then work from there um, for a cat like in their home or in their shelter. And then as far as for cats not being seen by the veterinarian, uh, there was a study done, um, I think it was 2012, where only 43% of the cats in the United States get an annual welfare visit to the veterinarian. And the two top reasons that animals, cats weren't going, one was uh, because the cats looked fine. They didn't look sick, so I don't need to take them to the vet. Going back through cats' history, the fact that they may not be completely domesticated, cats are actually both predator and prey. Uh, so because of that potential prey animal that they are, they're really, really good about hiding when they're ill. If I'm sick, if I'm hurt, then I am going to be number one prey animal for a predator that's larger than me. So they're really, really good about hiding that. So people think, oh, my cat's fine, without realizing that the cat is actually not well. So they don't go to the vet. The other reason is carrier resistance. The stress of the human and the cat of getting the cat into the carrier. Um, people feel like, oh, it's not worth that stress. I'm just going to skip it this year. My cat's fine. They stay inside all the time. They have no exposure to any other animals or any pathogens. I don't really need to stress them out and myself out. And I find that to be the two main reasons. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I'm actually surprised that it is as high as 43% of cats get a wellness exam every year because I, I, I think you know, for the, for the reasons you cited for those of us who, who have cats in our homes, it is, um, you know, it, it is a challenge and it's stressful for everybody to try to get them in the carrier and put them in the car and, and all of those things. And, and it, you know, it is easy to make assumptions about their health condition. Whereas, you know, my dog is a giant drama queen. If any, Thing is slightly wrong and we're lifelining her, you know, lifeline helicopter to the vet, you know, for the slightest things. And then it's like, oh, she just has indigestion. <laughs> Alrighty. And, you know, so, it could be all resolved if we just took the time to teach our cats to go into their carrier. So, well, Lisa, this is so interesting because I think many 
listening. Um, and I didn't know this until I started working with you that you can teach cats to do things. And in fact, you just like go into the carrier. You just taught a really incredible virtual class. Um, and you were teaching cats to sit and wait patiently for their food. You were teaching them to high five. So what I mean, that's just kind of inconceivable for a lot of people. What things can cats learn and how do you teach those skill sets to cats? What can't cats learn? Cats can learn anything that you want to teach them. Uh, Cats learn just the way any other animal does by association. Um, You know, what works and what doesn't work. And um, we use positive reinforcement training in in our class and in all behavior modification that I do with cats. And it's just about, it's communicating with them, you know, rewarding them for the things that you like, um, ignoring the things that you don't like, um, using a food or a toy to like lure them into a position and then rewarding them. So yeah, sky's the limit. So what are, what are some of the I mean, I think, you know, teaching cat a high five is pretty extraordinary. But what are some of the kind of things people wouldn't imagine cats can learn that you've maybe taught over the years? Uh, So we can teach them all kinds of tricks from sit, sit pretty, high five, spin, (laughs) um, up on a stool, down from a stool, um, carrier desensitization, nail trimming Uh desensitization. Harness desensitization, we can teach them to go to like a mat and stay and wait. That's good for door darning. Those cats who just like go out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you could teach a cat to pretend to play the piano. You can teach them to pretend to work on the keyboard on the computer. You can teach them anything. Well, and as you're describing this, I, it, I almost feel... A sadness for, you know, that cats have this just incredible intellectual capacity that they can learn all of these things. And, and what an incredible bonding opportunity that must be for the, for the cat guardian and the cat to, to learn together and, and create those bonds through learning. Um, but that how so many cats just are, you know, kind of in the background and, um, they're they're not recognized for for intelligence and and all of the and their capacity to learn and and be part of the family. Yeah, and you know that's exactly what one of my um, one of the people who took the the cat class told me at the end. She's like, I feel like I am I have such a stronger bond to my cat than I ever had before. I feel like I can understand their needs more we're communicating better and um yeah you know they cats kind of have had that history of being aloof people often call them and they're not they are social creatures they're cognitive creatures um and you know learning is just such an enriching experience it's really fun to watch them learn it's like you can see those little wheels in their head turning as they figure out, okay, what what are they wanting? What was I just being reinforced for? Is it this? And you're like, yes, it is. So yeah, it's it's a great experience for the human and yeah. the cat. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, and if anyone is interested in learning more about uh, these kinds of courses that we offer at the Humane Rescue Alliance, they can just visit our website, humanerescuealliance.org, and um, you go to the Behavior and Training tab, and they should all be listed there. So I know I need to sign up for the next one, Lisa. I definitely was inspired by Coco Rizzo. Um, her 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 new skill set. So um, we need to get Ella Courier enrolled in one of these classes. Sounds perfect. Next one is starting in June. <laughs> okay, good. So are there generally um, consistent questions or behavior behavioral challenges that you receive more than others? Um, I think right now has been interesting since this pandemic started, we had a lot of people adopting new cats and kittens at this time. So right now I'm seeing a lot of cat-cat aggression um, from the whole like, you know, introduction process didn't go as slow as it should. Or, you know, some cats are a little bit harder to introduce to others. So I think because of the pandemic and the increased adoption in cats, I'm seeing a lot of um, the inner cat aggression. Um, as well as house soiling. There's always, um, house soiling is always an issue. Um, and it always has been. And that's litter box issues. Well, let's let's stop there and, and unpack the litter box issue for a little bit. Because I know that is one of the um, leading reasons that people uh, surrender cats to the shelter. So can you talk about, um, and this is something that I, I actually talked to you about with my older cat, Oscar. Um, he was he was starting to, to eliminate outside of the litter box. And I spoke with you. And, um, you know, through your questioning, I realized that because he was aging, he was having trouble getting in and out of the litter box. And so what we ended up and he was a very large male cat. And so what we ended up doing was um, we at first we experimented with different kind of litter and um, we found, we found one that worked better for him. And then we bought a giant, um, you know, a huge storage uh, container and we cut through a YouTube video. We, we cut in a hole into the, a big hole. So it just had a very narrow lip. And so he was able to get, and we made this into his litter box, um, the storage container, because it had a narrow lip that he could get over even with his arthritis. And then he was easily, he was able to turn very comfortably and, and that just made a big difference. So, um, but it took a lot of like detective work to figure that out. So how, um, you know, what, what guidance do you have for people that are similarly situated and have a cat that um, is using the bathroom outside of their litter box? Yeah, detective work is a, is a perfect way to describe it. Um, cats want to go to a litter box. They want to dig in a sand type substrate and eliminate. That is an innate behavior. That's just like kittens. You don't have to teach a kitten how to use a litter box, how you might have to teach a puppy to go potty outside, it's instinctual for cats. So that being said, there's certain things that they need and they want. So when you find a cat that's not eliminating in the litter box, that's when you put on the detective hat and figure out, 
why? What behaviors or what environmental conditions, more more or less, are you not getting? What what are we missing here? Um, they want a quiet, calm location, but not a hidden one. If they have to go through you know, 10 tunnels up and down stairs to the far corner in the basement that's four floors away from them, they might not go to the litter box down there. Um, They want something large. The fact that you said your cat could stand up and turn around, that's hugely important. And a lot of commercial litter boxes just aren't big enough. Every single one of my litter boxes is a big storage bin with a big U cut out of the side. Um, they want a substrate that feels good on their feet, that is soft, um, unscented. You know, cats have a sense of smell that is so much better than ours that, um, you know, that little bit of perfume in there that helps us, you know, to tolerate it. The cats can't. Um, so, yeah, it's really about just finding out, okay, well, where are you eliminating? And what does that place that you're eliminating at have to offer that your litter box doesn't? And then we go from there. Um, you know, it could be another animal in the home. It could be a dog or a cat. It could be a human in the home that is making the cats not comfortable going to the litter box. Um, do you have enough litter boxes in a multi-cat home? Um, it's recommended that you have one per cat plus one. And the litter boxes should be s- spread out throughout the home. Having all five litter boxes in one room is really essentially one big litter box. Um, not five litter boxes. Um, you know, cats are really good about controlling space from one another. So in a multi-cat home, it is really important to have them spread out in that manner. So yeah, they want to go. It's just taking the time and working with a, you know, behavior professional. If it's not obvious to you, um, I honestly, I find house soiling to be one of the most easily resolvable issues if you just take the time to like dig in and find out, dig in, sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> dig no in and, right? <laughs> and find out what, what the cat is missing in their environment. Well, and it, and it does take time. It really does. You have to be patient. And, um, and I think you have to be willing to see things through the cat's perspective. Like I really love, um, reading, uh, I've loved reading articles by Temple Grandin, who, you know, she she's done a lot in terms of improving um, the conditions of uh, for for cows and other animals used for food um, in slaughterhouses. And and because, you know, through her, you know, she's she has different abilities as a person, but she's able to see these processes and facilities through the perspective of the animal. And that's often what we have to do with our pets is try to see things through the perspective of them is, is suddenly the house very stressful and disruptive um, because, you know, they're trying to tell us something. And, and I think the litter box usage is a big, a big way for the cats to communicate something's changed in their environment or something's changed in their body that they need to be seen by a veterinarian. Maybe they have, you know, a urinary tract infection or something going on. Arthritis was the case for our cat. And, you know, we did have to move to a system where with a much larger box and then also putting boxes on every level of the home. And was it ideal? No, but it's what he needed um, 
for that last season of his life. And, um, that was something we were, we were happy to do for him in that stage. Yeah. It's, um, I know, you know, we always have to think of the things that cats need as what they need. It's not so much about us, you know, we're bringing this animal into our home. And so by bringing this animal into our home, we're saying, you know, like, we're going to take care of you and we're going to provide you with everything that you need. And that actually goes beyond just food, water, you know, there's like environmental, mental and physical stimulation and, and enrichment. Um, that's all part of that. Absolutely. So, um, what advice would you give to someone thinking of adding a cat to their home? Do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the answer is always yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, if if you're a first time cat person, um, you've never had a cat before, or you've had had one in the past, you know, do it. They are funny. They're unique. They're quirky. They have so much personality and so much affection to give. Um, it's realize that I think a lot of people think that cats are super easy. And that's not always the case. They need exercise too. Um, it's not necessarily like walking them around the block like you might have to do with a dog. But they need playtime. And playtime is like hunting time for them. So they need that opportunity. Um, you need to make sure that you're committed to um, setting up your home for uh, an environment that is appropriate for a cat. The vertical spaces for them to like climb up on and observe everything, the hiding spaces. Um, yeah, they're, yeah, do it. They're just so fun. Um, and so they just bring me so much pleasure. They just make me so happy. <laughs> and they're so entertaining. Like if you, we recently got a laser pointer, like what fun is that? I mean, you know, to see your cat just running all around and uh, doing all of these things. And I think the other thing that's so fun about cats is like everything is a potential play object, you know, like, you know, I brought home groceries last night and I had a paper bag and my cat just played with that for like 25 minutes, you know, jumping in and out and attacking us as we went by. And, you know, it, they do bring a silliness and just spontaneity and joy to your life in the way that no other animal can. So I am in complete agreement with you. I think people should consider cats and I the other thing is we've gotten so much feedback for people that became first time cat parents um, during the pandemic and just what a source of comfort and companionship those cats have been to them um, during this time. You know, many people live alone and having a cat in your house, it just, it's such a wonderful um, diversion and, and, and source of companionship when, when we're so separated from a lot of the things that feed our spirit. I agree. Um, you know, everyone wants that, that companion to care for and, you know, cats care for us as well. So it's definitely a give and take, um, that relationship and that bond, it just, I don't know, it soothes the soul. It does. It does. It's good. And I know there's a lot of studies out there too. Um, you know, I have children and, about 
uh, just the impact that animals in general have in the household when when you have children, that children learn compassion, they learn caring for another creature, but they also have lower stress levels and lower anxiety levels, uh, children that, that grow up with a home with a pet. So I think in general, um, adding a pet to your family is always the best thing to do. Um, but are there, so, so you mentioned something, um, in terms of people thinking about getting a cat is the importance of vertical space. And so if you've been a dog owner, um, sorry, if you hear a lot of noise in the background, there is uh, construction going on right now, just right outside my door. But if you've, uh, if you've maybe had dogs all your life (laughs) and suddenly you're thinking about getting a cat, the whole, I think a pretty big difference between dogs and cats is cats really do need that vertical space and they're and if you don't give it to them they're going to find it in other ways they're going to be on your countertops they're going to be on your table they're going to be on the backs of chairs on your mantle so what are the best ideas you have for vertical space so vertical space for cats and the reason why it's so important is that this goes back to that lack of evolution that that wildcat kind of instinct this is the jaguar in the jungle that's hanging out in the tree are cats like vertical space because it gives them a safe place to rest to relax and to observe they get the perfect vantage point they can see over their entire territory who's coming and who's going gather information and then make decisions based on that information and you know vertical space does not have to be the giant carpeted cat tree anymore there's so many cool ideas out out there um, you don't have to take up an inch of your floor space I know living in you know Washington DC a lot of our spaces are smaller and you might not have the floor space to give up to cat vertical space but you probably have the wall space um, shelving on walls is just a, a great idea you can pick up stuff at, at, a, at a hardware store and make it yourself there's plenty of things that are commercially available too and they don't look like I mean they look like that they're meant to be it matches your decor it can look like art and your cat loves it you know vertical space should be in social areas where do you hang out and where does your cat hang out so you can kind of incorporate that into those rooms vertical space by windows gives them that opportunity to quote unquote sit in the tree and watch the birds or the squirrels and stuff Um, But vertical space, like in the living room, in the bedroom, in the kitchen, gives them that place to hang out instead of your countertop, the top of your refrigerator, your mantle, etc. Yes, all the many other spaces they will find themselves. And and now that you're right, they have so many different options. Even if you look on Amazon, they have... um, those, you know, cat hammocks and things that you use have suction and you can suction to your window. You know, they're $30 and very, you know, minimal space required for those kinds of things. But it gives the cat both enrichment to look out the window and also that vertical space um, that they need to be happy and um, away from away from other opportunities. <laughs> yes, a lot of options out there. And listen, if you're handy and creative... Oh boy, you can um, really come up with something nice with shelving on the walls and stuff. And lots of uh, options on like Pinterest and stuff if you do a search, like of cool things that people do for their cats. It's, it's nice to see that happening. 
So, Lisa, you have been working uh, with cats for a long time. Are there certain cats who have really stood out to you over your career? And could you tell us a little bit about them? Oh, yeah. Geez, I guess probably the most recent one would have been um, a cat named Meow Man, who had been in the home, his home for quite a while, and he was surrendered to us after a biting incident. And while he was in the home, he had the perfect person too, the perfect person um, who understood that that this cat had severe anxiety issues and was really territorial and stressed out when people came over. And he had tried to put him on medication, but it wasn't quite working. Uh, so he had a bite incident. So the guy's like, I, I feel like I've done everything that I could. And I was like, I agree. Let's see what we can do. So we were able to get this kitty on the right kind of medication. He got on the right kind of training plan where he had lots of enrichment, interactive play, and some just tricks training and stuff like that just to keep him like mentally enriched and put him in a fantastic foster home who knew that that this kitty had special needs that he needed time to like acclimate because he was so territorial. It took him a little while to like understand like, okay, this is for everybody. This is, I'm, I'm safe here. I'm comfortable here. And I'm okay if people come in now. And he was adopted not long ago. And we are getting the best and most cutest and funnest update pictures from his new person. That's awesome. And what a sweet little name. Meow man. Mm-hmm. That- <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a great, happy story. Yeah. And then I have, um, I think of two cats that I've known just through consulting who um, emerged family. Two cats came in together who hated uh, each other initially. One was really exuberant and active. The other one was sweet and shy and, and quiet. You know, it was such a, a tough time for the family. You know, they're coming together. This should be a happy time um, and their cats aren't getting along, but they were so committed. They followed every step of the protocol that we put them on and they worked really hard. And, you know, last last holiday, they sent me a Christmas card with all four of them together, you know, in a big group hug. So that made me happy. That's great. I know. I, I think the thought of introducing cats is, is really stressful. So while we're on that topic, do you have just a, a few tips for people that are planning to, to reintroduce cats other than obviously taking it very slow and being very patient? What, how would you set people up for success for introducing So cats? first of all, you know, the reason why cats are difficult to introduce is that their biggest concern, their biggest stressor is their resources. Do they have enough? And this is all goes back to that not quite domesticated animal. If everything in my home here, my food, my water, my vertical space, my litter boxes, my toys, this is sustaining me. And then you bring this other cat in and your resident cat is going, whoa, is there going to be enough? Is there going to be enough for everyone here? I know that you're going to feed your cat and take care of them, but you're instinctually your resident cat doesn't know this. And this new cat you brought in, he's going, oh, wow, I just got dropped into this new place. Are there going to be enough resources to sustain my life? So that's what's going through their mind. So if you can imagine, if you were in that situation, you know, how stressed out you might be in that same place. 
So that's the core of why cats may be difficult to introduce. So first and foremost, you have to like double and triple your resources um, and put them in different parts of the home. So that means more vertical space, more litter boxes, more food and water stations, more toys. So that way the cats don't feel like, okay, I see there's more coming, there's more coming. I'm not so stressed out about not having enough now because there is so much. And cats, because they are territorial, they can sometimes, you know, lay nice and, and long across the threshold and they look like they're resting, but they're really controlling space from the other cat. So now this new cat can't get to the litter box or can't get to the food. So that's why having the multiple resources in multiple parts of your home are so important. That is so important in a multi-cat household. And then once you have that and you bring the, the new cat in, Yes, um, you got to like address it with all the different senses just by scent. Here's a, a blanket with the new kitty smell on it and here's some treats. Here's a blanket with resident kitties scent on it and here's some treats. So you're making that positive association just through scent and then you can gradually then go through like visual, a crack in the door at a distance and then move forward from there. But the thing to to keep in mind is that let your cat tell you or let your cats tell you when they're ready to move on to the next step. It's not just about putting them in a room and closing the them in the, in the room for seven days, open the door and it's magically done. There's a process and the cats will tell you when they're ready to move on. You can't rush it. That's so fascinating though, how their evolutionary history plays such a big role in that process. I never would have thought about that. The access to resources and protecting those resources, that makes so much sense. So we are about to enter in to the month of May, which at the Humane Rescue Alliance means all things cats, because it is the month of Meow DC, which is our now virtual cat extravaganza. And so it goes from May 1 through the 29th, and it's it's a celebration of all things cats. So I heard you are participating in this event, Lisa. Can you tell me what you're doing and, and maybe a little bit about some of the other things people can look forward to at this event? Oh, I love Meow DC. Love it. It is like, I was so excited. Every spring when I know this is coming up, it's the best time. So what I'll be doing, I'll have two different sessions I'll be participating in in May. The first will be a clicker training class. So it'll be myself, Coco Rizzo, and her mom, Danny, uh, will be joining me for an hour-long clicking tra- clicker training class for anybody who wants to sign up and participate. It's just going to be, you know... Quick and easy, basic learning theory, and we'll teach your cats a a trick or two while we're at it. And then the second one I'll be participating in is going to be an Ask the Experts type panel where, you know, people in the community can questions, they can send in their questions, and we'll answer them. So beyond that, we have lots of celebrity cats and trap, neuter, release type clinics going on throughout the uh, month of May. And my favorite, where you get your pictures of your cat's drawn 
that is my favorite. So lots oh, to look forward nice. to. It's nice. I didn't know about that, getting getting your cat drawn. So if you want to learn more about Meow DC, go to our website, humanerescuealliance.org, and you see the schedule so you can find out when Lisa will be um, available for those great sessions. And of course, to meet Coco Rizzo. That's, that's an attraction in itself. So, well, thank you so much, Lisa. This was so wonderful um, to catch up with you. And I learned a lot as always. And I'm just so grateful for your passion for our feline friends and advancing their cause. Thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me like talk all about cats. Um, I said, <laughs> they're wonderful creatures and there's a lot deep down inside them that, uh, I don't know. They're so unique and I just love them. So thank you for having me on here so I could talk about them. Well, you are you are a great ambassador for them and uh, a wonderful voice when they when they only can do their meowing. So um, thank you for, for what you do and for joining us. And if you liked this episode of the podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you can have other episodes come right into your inbox. Please, again, check out our website, humanerescuealliance.org, so you can find out more about Meow DC and all of our other upcoming events.